It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Yes, they are. Some things are worth fighting for, and we fight, fight every single morning uh, for those things. But this morning, I want to start with some really good news. Last week, we did our Spring share and as usual, and really not usual, way over the mark, you stepped up to the plate. And I don't know if you've heard, I don't know if you've been listening over the weekend, our, our goal, we, you know, we had in our heads, I think last year we reached a high of $3 million. Uh, And the, I guess, do you know how much you gave? Do you know, have any idea how much you gave? Our total was at this point is four thousand one hundred and sixty-three million four four well four thousand one hundred and sixty-three million four million one hundred sixty-three thousand is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'll get that right in a minute. Four million dollars plus one hundred sixty-three thousand dollars. I mean, amazing, amazing. And uh, you guys just um, you really knocked my socks off with your generosity because I, I know that mo- many of you are, are not wealthy people. You know, it's not like you are, you know, you just have lots of extra and you think you'll write a check. I, I know that that's not true. And, and I'm just humbled by that. I really am. And uh, I just, so it makes me um, just determined to work harder to make sure that I'm doing the very best job for you every single morning. It's a great encouragement um, and it's an incredible thing. And don't you think God is pleased with your generosity? You know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And it's the heart of people like you. Uh, who are generous and give when they don't necessarily have the money to give uh, because they think there's value and because they want to support something that they trust and believe is good. And so anyway, thank you. <laughs> Just wanted to say thank you. I um, uh, We've been watching Texas. The eyes of the world are on Texas uh, because uh, there are so many people coming across the border. We've had in Texas or on the border in general, there have been 221,303 encounters in the month of March alone. That's a 33% increase. And we know that when this uh, Title 42 is lifted, we're expecting something like 18,000. They're projecting every day, 18,000 every day. We're going to talk a great deal about that today because the Attorney General of Texas will be joining us shortly. But I want to say that over the weekend or the last few days, a young national Texas National Guard soldier Uh, took off his shirt, left, put down his radio, and jumped into the waters of the river uh, to rescue two illegal immigrants who he perceived were drowning. Uh, And the irony, as my understanding, is that these two guys uh, were drug smugglers, the ones he tried to save, and I believe they survived there in custody, but he did not. And I don't think they found his body yet, unless something's come out in the last hour or so, but we have identified him, at least they've identified him in Texas, a soldier from, uh, his name is Bishop Evans from Arlington, Texas. He's 20, 22 years old. Uh, it happened at Eagle Pass. It happened on Friday. Um, he was also a, a, a military veteran. He was a field artilleryman from Arlington, Texas. He was assigned to Battery 4, 
I'm not going to go into all that except for you military people. I bet you wish I would, but it's long. Uh, But he joined the Texas Army National Guard in May of 2019. He returned in the fall of 2020 for mobilization to Operation Spartan Shield in Kuwait. During his mobilization, his dedication, talents, and tactical prowess led to his leadership and regularly assigned signed him to operations in Iraq in support of special operations forces for a short period of time and then rotating back into Kuwait. And I go through all of that. Uh, it's one man's life, but we believe that every person's life is precious, don't we? This is a black soldier. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking that this guy, Bishop Evans, I bet— I don't know. I'm speculating. I bet Bishop was a Christian. I bet he had a Christian mom. Uh, Who else does that? Jumps into the waters and risks their lives to save people. Not many other people do, but a lot of times Christians do that because we understand that life is eternal uh, and that we, um, we are to follow the example of our Savior, that we lay down our lives for others, be willing to lay down our lives so I don't know if that's true. That's total speculation uh, from me, but we'll find out. His parents have released pictures of him, and and so we uh, we just our honor and respect goes out to Specialist Bishop Evans Evans of Arlington, Texas, twenty two years old, who jumped into the waters and gave his own life for two drug smugglers. I'm sure he didn't know that part, uh, but isn't that something? Isn't that something? All right, so. Um, Well, there was a news story that broke over the weekend. I'm not even sure what day. Maybe Thursday. Um, So I think this is a very big deal. But I think it's been underreported. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe you've seen this. But over the weekend, uh, by the New York Times, over the past, leading up to the weekend, the New York Times wrote an article and uh, uh, said, basically, that Kevin McCarthy had... uh, criticized Donald Trump on the occasion of January 6th to his caucus, uh, heavily criticized him, said he should resign, and uh, said he was tired of him and tired of putting up with him. And uh, Kevin McCarthy quickly came out and said, that's just not true. That's just not true. The problem is that audio was leaked, and the New York Times had it, and they now have released that audio. This is ABC News. I'll let them tell you the story, and you can hear some of the audio. Clip one. When the New York Times reported that Republican leader Kevin McCarthy was so outraged by Donald Trump's behavior on January 6th that he wanted him to resign, McCarthy flatly denied it, calling the report, quote, totally false and wrong. But now the reporters behind the story have presented proof, McCarthy's own voice, here talking about Trump on a call with Republican leaders four days after the attack on the Capitol. Uh, I've had it with this guy. Uh, What he did is unacceptable. Um, nobody can defend that and nobody should defend it. And a day later, McCarthy said this in a call with House Republicans. But let me be very clear to all of you, and I've been very clear to the president. He bears responsibilities for his words and actions. No ifs, ands, or buts. I asked him personally today, does he hold responsibility for what happened? Does he feel bad about what happened? He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened. Um... And he need to acknowledge that. The tape is from New York Times reporters Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns, backing up reporting from their forthcoming book, This Will Not Pass. When they first reported this week that McCarthy told fellow Republicans he planned to call Trump and tell him he should resign, the Republican leader's spokesperson claimed, quote, McCarthy never said he'd call Trump to say he should resign. 
But listen to the tape. McCarthy first talks about the certainty of impeachment passing the House and maybe the Senate, and even raises the possibility of Pence pardoning Trump if he resigned. What I think I'm going to do is I'm going to call him. My, this, this is what I think. Um, no one will pass the House. I think there's a chance he'll pass the Senate even when he's gone. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ramifications for that. Now, I haven't had a discussion with the Dems that if he did resign, would it not happen? Now, this is one personal fear I have. Um, I do not want to get into any conversations about Pence pardoning anything like that. I mean, the only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should resign. McCarthy's harsh words about Trump would soon be a distant memory. And just three weeks after January 6th, he visited the former president in Mar-a-Lago. All right, so that's the ABC report. I think a couple of things, uh, That's uh, those are private phone calls with uh, Republican, I think, Republican leadership. The speculation is that Liz Cheney has probably leaked this. So that's uh, that's a level of... Uh, of undermining that's really uh, beyond the pale to me. Uh, nevertheless, uh, Kevin McCarthy is doing his own little set of betrayals. You know, Kevin McCarthy has, for, for some reason that many of us could not understand, it's the same thing we face constantly with President Trump. He has a blind spot for good people. Um, he puts really bad people in place, and he supports them. And some of his nominations and endorsements and candidacies around the country are not good. Some are good. It's very uneven, and so you have to be really wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But the, my remarks this morning are about Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Kevin, uh, like, you know, is illustrating to us what I say to you all the time, uh, that they say one thing and do another. They are not honest. The leadership is all about survival and power. And I just heard a briefing last week that Kevin McCarthy has it all sewed up to be speaker. Uh, Kevin McCarthy's not a strong He's not a conservative, only if it's expedient. Uh, and his buddying up to President Trump was very successful. President Trump said over the weekend, oh, you know, he and Kevin are fine, even in spite of this, in spite of this. I don't understand that. Uh, I would be a little upset if someone said, who was a leader of my party, said to his caucus or to his leaders that he's had it with him and um, that he's responsible for his words and actions, which he is. Uh, but um, that he is actually lobbying, talking about Pence uh, pardoning, at least even discussing that, that President Trump may be impeached. Uh, it's um, not what his public face has been on this. Now, according to the Washington Times, and you have to know when you're reading stuff where they're coming from, the Washington Times, from my perspective, uh, is very much uh, in the camp of the Republican establishment. So you can't always, their bent is always going to be that way. So as I was reading it, they were talking about how the Republicans who heard this you know, are kind of poo-pooing and it's not a big deal to them. And then down at the end of the article, they quote uh, Matt Gates, and he says, um, while I was rallying in Wyoming against Liz Cheney, Kevin McCarthy was defending Liz Cheney among House Republicans. Um, he said um, on Twitter, GOP leader, you should have trusted my instincts and not your own. In other words, he's telling the leader, you know, it's Liz Cheney who betrayed you here, and I was trying to tell you, uh, that she should be out of the caucus and you wouldn't listen, and now she's leaked that. That's what he's intimating. And so Steve Bannon, of course, the former Trump advisor, he said that the uh, Mr. McCarthy and the GOP establishment were plotting to roll Mr. Trump, and that's true. 
They were plotting to get rid of him. So um, I, I think this is going to have some legs. I, I hope to talk to the members of the Freedom Caucus. I didn't ha- they weren't ready to speak this morning. I would have had them on this morning. Uh, because I think um, I, I just do not want Kevin McCarthy's leadership in the House to be a done deal. Jim Jordan has actually spoken up in his defense, not on this, uh, but on being speaker. He said, but, but see, Jim is now in line to be the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and Kevin McCarthy controls all the chairmanships. So if Jim Jordan should speak out against Kevin McCarthy, he'd be out as chairman. This is the way this works. It is, uh, it's really ugly. And you know, Kevin McCarthy is busy uh, giving out money to uh, people that he knows he can control to run in the, ho- in the House seats. Uh, they're going to all the, I don't know if they're going to all the states, but many of the states. And so what they do is they, they buddy up to people in various states who are a lot of times newbies, and uh, they'll give them money and support them and give them consultants who are careful to make sure that they say and do the right things. And then when these people are elected, they go to Washington and they feel they they don't understand the system, and they feel uh, loyal to Kevin McCarthy and the leadership, uh, and then they just roll over because they don't understand, and they, they don't have, except for a few people, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and others have them a mind of their own, and many of the Freedom Caucus members do as well. But I'm, te- I'm afraid to tell you that a lot of really good people don't, and so they fall in line with leadership, and then we get nothing. We get nothing. They don't fight back. Kevin's talk, he's bragging, beating his chest about all these committees and how there's going to be retribution. And I can tell you right now, I don't believe that for a minute. And so, because I've seen them, I've seen them at work. I see what they do. They said they formed this big Benghazi committee where they were going to bring all those people to to justice who allowed those men to be killed on that roof and who allowed the ambassador to be killed and who tried to cover it up. Yeah, they were going to bring them to just, justice. And then I saw them scrub. All the real evidence, I was part of the group of uh, people, that there were so many people still in the hospital who had been injured in that, who had to sign non-disclosure agreements. That was, that was scandalous. And it was Kevin McCarthy, John Boehner, who covered the whole thing up. Uh, but they had a Benghazi hearing because, you know, they had a hearing. And so that you would think they actually did something, but they actually helped cover it up. That's the way this works. And so I hope Kevin McCarthy loses the speakership. That's me, Sandy Rios, speaking this morning. I hope this hurts him in his bid for that. I hope some conservative steps up and gets some support. That's what I hope. All right. We're going to talk to the Texas AG, Ken Paxton, coming up about what's going on, because he's in D.C. getting ready to argue before the Supreme Court on a very important issue. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The communist government has spoken. There's no room for Christianity within the walls of China. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and the man named Katsu is an evangelical pastor, a little more than 50. He serves outside of Beijing. I won't identify his village. But I would guess he has been beaten in jail 25 times over the course of his ministry. Most recently, they beat him so severely he could not get up for a week. They let him go and told him to never speak of Jesus again. About a week later, a knock came on his door. He was somewhat reluctant to open it, but he found Hyo the bitter atheist interrogator who beat him terribly had one question that burned in his heart all week long why were you at such peace when we were beating you so Katsu would open his door open his Mandarin Bible and lead this bitter atheist to faith in Christ together they've witnessed thousands coming to Christ who all need Bibles in China at $5 a Bible would you call 800-YES-WORD 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 or give at sendbiblesnow.org that's sendbiblesnow.org Work. This is Pause to Pray, 
a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Suzanne Goldberg, Acting Assistant Secretary at the Office for Civil Rights. Her office enforces civil rights laws prohibiting schools from discrimination. Psalm 106.3 reminds us of the importance of treating one another with fairness and equality. Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Suzanne Goldberg as she works to prevent discrimination in her schools. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stearns. Stand by for news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the House Republicans, is two-faced. Not much of a surprise, seeing how he's a professional politician. A new book written by a pair of New York Times reporters contains explosive allegations that McCarthy told Congresswoman Liz Cheney that he planned to urge President Trump to resign over the Capitol riot. McCarthy issued a strong denial. That was on Thursday. By Thursday night, the book's authors had released an audio recording of the conversation proving McCarthy lied. I wonder what else McCarthy said behind closed doors. And we could soon find out because the reporters, Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns, said they have a lot more on tape. Now, the fact that Republicans are not demanding that Mr. McCarthy step down from leadership just shows you how bad the moral rot has become within the highest echelons of the Republican Party. Be sure to get a copy of my new book, Our Daily Biscuit, available at ToddStearns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Yeah, it's extremely uh, upsetting to every single one of us, especially because this was preventable. This is something that we could have stopped. If we had the proper policies on the border, these individuals wouldn't be crossing in Del Rio. Historically speaking, Del Rio is a very slow sector. We have nine sectors on the border, uh, on, on the southwest border, and Del Rio is a very slow sector. But since President Biden completely took away all of the policies that President Trump implemented, we've seen an explosion in Del Rio. This was preventable, and when you see somebody lose their life because they're trying to protect others. That's what we go out and do. We, as, as law enforcement, we put on a uniform to go out and protect other people, and that's what we want to do. And when you lose life um, that is senseless and because of policy, it really upsets everybody. Yeah, it's extremely uh, upsetting to every single one of us, especially because this was preventable. This is something that we could have stopped. If we had the proper policies on the border, these individuals wouldn't be crossing in Del Rio. Historically speaking, Del Rio is a very slow sector. We have nine sectors on the border, uh, on, on the southwest border, and Del Rio is a very slow sector. But since President Biden completely took away all of the policies that President Trump implemented, we've seen an explosion in Voice Del Rio. Of, uh, this was preventable. President of the National Border Patrol Council, 
Brandon Judd. Brandon, every time I hear him speak, I just am impassioned. He's just a great guy. We have interviewed him before, as you know. But we, he's talking about the death of Bishop Evans, and that's the the kid, the young National Guard uh, guy who had served in Kuwait and other areas of the Middle East, 22 years old, who gave his life trying to save those drug smugglers, had, had no idea there were drug smugglers, I'm sure. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that's happening on the border. We know the story. I told you there's been 221,000 303 encounters just in the month of March. And now if Title 42 is lifted, which is the COVID restriction uh, that was put into place by the Trump administration, we expect that there will be 18,000 crossing daily. It is untenable. Attorney General Ken Paxton, of course, is the person in Texas charged with enforcing the law. And certainly he's been doing that for a number of years. Let me just tell you, uh, Ken Paxton, I've known Ken for a long time. When I was president of, uh, of America, um, Concerned Women for America, I remember meeting him many years ago, but he's you know, really established himself as one of the leaders in the country on fighting back on all kinds of things. I remember during the Obama administration, he filed a ton of lawsuits and stopped a ton of bad stuff, like the waters of the United States, which was causing like ranchers and just plain people. Uh, to actually lose control of their own ponds, their own their own water facilities. It was just horrendous. Uh, also, he um, did a multi-state uh, push against the Obama-era clean power plan, which would have increased you know, gas and water electricity bills in, in the state of Texas and for other states as well. Uh, we could go on and on about the many things. He also participated in that 20-state um, coalition lawsuit to stop Obamacare, I think, uh, uh, our friend Ken Cuccinelli was part of that, too. So Ken Paxton has really distinguished himself, and he is now in Washington, D.C., I think, this morning, getting ready to argue before the Supreme Court on another issue. So, General Paxton, thank you for joining us this morning. Hey, good morning. Actually headed to the airport to fly to D.C. this morning. Okay, well, and you don't have to wear a mask. That's the good news, right? <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. I know I haven't flown since that was lifted, and I can't. I honestly, I'm looking forward to it. I, my husband flew to tech, uh, Chicago yesterday, and even they did not wear uh, masks on the plane to Chicago. And he said everyone was happy, so that was a good report. All right, so this is actually, a really. I was, the, I was actually at the airport when uh, they lifted the, the, the ban. It was actually really? one, of, one of our lawsuits. It wouldn't. Yeah, it was awesome. The, the flight attendants were happy. Everybody was happy. It was just like a you know, big celebration. You know, it's amazing. Oh, and this is not what you and I are going to talk about, but I, it's amazing uh, the personality change in people. You know, it's just like, uh, it's just frightening to see how cowed and frightened and how it really disrupted our normal way of communicating with each other. People became, it just did a real psychological number on people. And so it is joyous to see that freedom returned. Um, it really is. All right, so. You're going to D.C. because you're going to be arguing uh, before the Supreme Court on this remain in Mexico policy. A lot of people, General Paxton, will know, well, that'll, that'll remind them of something, but we need to describe this. This was put into place uh, by President Trump. Can you please tell us what's at stake here and what that was? Yeah, so this was a very effective uh, policy, and it was based on federal law. And, and the idea here was that people were coming to, to the United States claiming asylum. And very few of them actually qualified. It was in the team. But the way it was working under the Obama administration prior to Trump and then in the beginning of the Trump administration, everybody was told the cartels worked with people. and Everybody knew you could come and claim asylum and then you you'd get let into the country and then you would wait for your hearing. But most of these people never showed up and that was just their way in. 
So President Trump said, wait a minute, the law says that we either have to detain them before their hearing or they have to remain in another country. So he started enforcing that. It worked very effectively, dropping the numbers significantly. And the Biden administration immediately, when they came into power, got rid of that. And the numbers have uh, increased dramatically. I think they went up 300 percent from the time that Trump was in office. So the progression of things then, um, yeah, Biden immediately disbanded. So I guess this has been in the courts for a while. Did you guys bring suit? How did this work and how does it get how did it get to the Supreme Court? Yeah, so we brought suit. Uh, initially, we had a preliminary injunction, and that went from district court where it was granted to stop them from not enforcing the law. It's hard to explain the opposite of what we should be doing, but to enforce them, to force them to enforce the law. We then, they then appealed to the Fifth Circuit. We won. They then appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. We won. So we got the preliminary injunction. The reality is they're not following the preliminary injunction. They're only using it now for a couple hundred people a month. So now we've gone all the way from back to the trial court and won, Fifth Circuit and won on the merits, and then we're going to the U.S. Supreme Court on the merits of the case so that we can get this to stay in place permanently. Hopefully, we won't be in a situation where we have a constitutional crisis where the president not only ignores federal law coming from Congress, but ignores a Supreme Court order. You know, this Supreme Court is a tricky one. And I, to my knowledge, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure you do know. Have Has this particular court, in its current configuration of justices, decided any major immigration cases? Well, so they, they had this on the preliminary injunction, and it, they allowed it to stay in place. So that gives okay. me some optimism, because it's a higher standard on the preliminary injunction uh, to maintain that than it is to actually win on the merits. So, you know, you never know. You never know for sure. But I'm optimistic just because we have a history with this case already at the Supreme Court. Okay. And uh, let me explain. I think again, 19 states attorneys general are, you're all, all there are 19 of you. Uh, and uh, this is led by the attorney general, Todd Rakita of Indiana. That's interesting that he's from Indiana and he's leading this uh, border policy. Could you just say, I know that's obvious to many people, but not to some. Why is the attorney general from Indiana interested in this? Well, so he, he realized it's actually the case was actually filed by Texas and Missouri. And uh, months and months and months ago, it's been probably a year, uh, Todd Rakita realizes he's been to the border. I brought a lot of Republican attorney generals to the border so they could see how it's affecting not just Texas and border states, how the reality is they get, they get information from federal authorities, state authorities, local authorities about how drugs are transported and how people are transported very quickly. And so reality was he and others realized that we're all border states. We're all going to suffer the consequences of the importation of drugs and the importation of human trafficking. And so he organized the effort to file an amicus brief in support of the position that Texas and Missouri filed. Okay. But tomorrow and it will be... An amicus brief, just to explain, is, is, just a, is just a supporting brief telling the court, hey, we all agree with what Texas and Missouri filed. Yeah. So will it be your solicitor general who argues before the court tomorrow? Yes, he is. Uh, he's done a really good job on, on many of our cases. Uh, very, very smart guy. Uh, clerked for one of the uh, Supreme Court justices. Uh, I believe it was Scalia and his done a tremendous job. And I'm very confident he's already he's already been arguing this case all the way up and has done an amazing job. 
Okay, let me just say as an aside to everyone listening, Justice Thomas is back on the bench in person, and that's a good thing. So that that's going to happen tomorrow. And okay, one last question on this remain in Mexico. If if you guys prevail and the Supreme Court rules in your favor that this policy should stay in place, will the Biden? What do you expect the Biden Justice Department to do? I they know they just ignore law. I don't you don't you sort of think they're going to just still ignore it, or do you think they'll try to give lip service and act like they're following it? Well, Bill, I think what they'll do is what they're doing now. They, they you know, 221,000 people come across the border and they, they impose it on, you know, 100 or 200 so they can say they're, they're doing it. But that's not, in reality, enforcing the law. And if, if, we're, if we're forced to go back and, and try to hold them in contempt, we will. And, and look, the President of the United States is not above the law. He may think he is. He's been acting like he is. Uh, but we'll go back and we'll enforce it in court. And uh, we'll be watching. Now, Look, their their tendency is to drag, 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 so they can keep getting more people in here. We'll keep fighting them in every every way that we possibly can legally. And if they're willing to ignore federal law and a court order, I think ultimately there'll be consequences either with contempt or with some type of impeachment action. Obviously, we've got a Democratic Congress, but you never know what's going to happen in the future if they continue to violate the Constitution and violate federal law. Yes, and then that then comes Title Twenty Title Forty Two, which of course is not law. It's not really law, is it? It's a statute of some sort uh, that was put into place in the nineteen forties, but then kind of updated in the Trump administration to stop people from coming across the border because of COVID. I don't exactly know how that works, but it's been very successful. But honestly, General Paxton, my understanding is that the the Biden administration is not really enforcing that very well already. Is that your observation? Well, they're certainly not enforcing it the way the Trump administration did, but it, it is the only way that we're not having, you know, three million more people coming across the border every year. I mean, we're already record numbers. If they eliminate enforcing that, which is what they want to do, that those numbers could double. I mean, who knows what the numbers will be, but then it becomes a complete uh, abdication of federal law, a complete abdication of the constitutional uh, role of the president, and an open borders policy that says, Come one, come all. We don't care what your background is. We don't care what your illnesses are. We don't care if you have criminal background. You're welcome in our country. And, not, and, and to complicate that, you know, it was documented. We, we Well, we know, we know this, that 23 people, uh, I don't know the, the period of time, maybe it was the calendar year of 2021, uh, who were on the terrorist list have come across the border. And don't you know, I mean, I'm sure we all know. There were a whole lot more than that, but the Cuba, Central, South America, we have people coming in from uh, um, from uh, Ukraine and from all you know, just probably all over the world. So we are theoretically letting people in in droves who are here to harm this country in a very real and tangible way, not just uh, South Americans who want a better life. So. So what's happening on Title 42, and is there any way to, to, to make the president enforce that rule? Yeah, so first of all, on the terrorist thing, it's another thing I think that the president's willing to trade to get as many people here as possible. I mean, he's already got to deal with the cartels. It's, 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 it may not be explicit, but it's implicit in that we have a tacit agreement that says, hey, you bring as many people here as you can. We know you're going to make you know eight to $12,000 a person. On top of that, our border patrol are going to be busy taking your handoff, and then we'll transport them around the country for for you to get them all around the country. 
And meanwhile, you'll have a better ability to transport drugs because our people are busy. Title 42, I think we have a, a really good chance of winning that as well. And I, if we win this, and it's based on the fact that they haven't followed law in, in, in eliminating Title 42. And it, it, it also is based on the fact that they're enforcing other CDC requirements on Americans, whether it's a vaccine mandate that you can lose your job if you don't follow, or whether it's a mask mandate, with it, which we finally got struck down uh, on, on airplanes. So th- they're continuing to enforce all of these restrictions on American citizens. And we're arguing that under the Administrative Procedure Act, that's arbitrary and capricious that you will enforce it against Americans, but suddenly the CDC says it's fine for illegals to come across the border. General, you have you guys have really tri- in outdone yourselves trying to protect the Texas border. You've got the National Guard down there uh, and all kinds of other things. I understand your governor has tried to make agreements with governors in Mexico across the border. I'm not sure how successful that's been, but that's been an attempt to try to help have them help uh, keep Mexicans, uh, Mexicans, not just Mexicans, but people coming across the border from all over the world. Um, but is it possible, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had the impression that Texas felt it was going to be able to protect their own border uh, in spite of the lawlessness of this administration. Is that is that possible? Is that possible for you guys to hold the line for your own state? I wish it was, but because of a case called U.S. v. Arizona, we can't pass our own laws that are similar to federal law. Uh, the Supreme Court said it was Justice Kennedy and Justice Roberts ruling with three liberals that we that Arizona couldn't do that. And so we're in a position now where people know they, they're not running from Border Patrol. They used to. That, that used to be they used to try to evade Border Patrol. Now they run to Border Patrol. The handoff is from the cartels to Border Patrol, not away from Border Patrol. And so... The awkwardness for us is even if somehow we could enforce um, some type of immigration law on the border, how would we take those people from federal border patrol without some type of violence between federal and state authorities? It just it makes it really difficult when your own government is aiding and abetting the cartels and breaking federal law. Yeah, difficult, if not impossible, no question about that. You guys have been, Texans have been... Um, under the instruction of your governor, taking illegal immigrants elsewhere to D.C. I think there have been four buses. That's my what I read last. And you talked about taking them to Delaware. And people have accused you guys of doing this as a publicity stunt. And I'd like to know how you respond to that. You know, it's, it's disgusting, really, for, for, for Jen Psaki to say that when she doesn't have a clue about how people are suffering or doesn't care. Uh, we have... You know, just look at the, the, the overdose rate over the last year because of the border crisis and allowing all these drugs in. 30% more Americans have died. We're talking about thousands and thousands of Americans are dying just from that. And the spread of COVID, uh, it was much greater because they let people in the country. Even the Border Patrol agent deaths went up because of the, the, the spread of COVID. And so we have other crimes. And, and for her to say this is a publicity stunt, we're just trying to bring attention to a very catastrophic issue that kills people, that is harmful to our country, not just Texas, but harmful to the whole country. And we're all going to be paying for this. And eventually, you know, the goal is amnesty here uh, to change uh, change this country into a one-party country. I remember Jen Psaki said when you let, I think when the initial bus came to D.C. and let people off, she said something about, that's great, uh, we appreciate Texas helping us because that's just a less expense for the government to bring them. They're closer now to where they have to come for their hearings. 
something like that. Very, very snarky. It, it really is. It's just mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling how blatantly they disregard the safety of this country. Um, can you speak, just speak a few more minutes about the, the drugs coming across? And is it true that the cartels are actually controlling the border? Would you say that that's true? They're, they're being given every opportunity to control the border. They, they make the decisions about who comes here, not us. We don't make the decisions. They make the decisions about what drugs to come, where they're coming through. And they use the fact that they're human trafficking to divert attention by the border agents, which makes it really much, much easier for them to um, transport the drugs. And so they are knowingly harming Americans, and, and they're willing, they are so willing to make that trade. They know that there's death and that they're going to, it's going to cost American lives. But for them, the value of having illegal immigration and just ignoring federal law for the future benefit of potentially controlling the country, in their minds, well worth it. And, and they'll never say it like that. But if you just look at what they're doing, they are allowing the cartels complete control of the border, uh, operational control, and the, the cartels are making billions of dollars on human trafficking and drug smuggling, and other crimes. Let me bring this around to something practical for you that's personal, and that is that there was a primary in Texas on March the 1st uh, for the Attorney General and other offices, and um, Ken Paxton and uh, George P. Bush were the top two uh, vote-getters, and now there's going to be a runoff election on May the 24th. So you're in the middle of an election right now. Uh, that's a very interesting situation. Can you say anything about that, or will you get yourself in trouble if you comment on the phone that you're on or whatever the rules are? Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's four, three weeks from today. We start early voting. We have five days of early voting, and then uh, four weeks from tomorrow is the runoff election. Uh, I finished the first round at 43%. Uh, uh, my opponent was at 22%. The numbers look even better for us now. Uh, I think if you compare what I'm doing versus what he does, what he did in a land commission, I mean, it's certainly something he doesn't want to talk about. Uh, his, his record was abysmal, and uh, it would be a, definitely a different direction from Texas if, if he stepped into this role. And that's why I was very uncomfortable leaving it, because I could not imagine Texas with an attorney general that has very little legal experience. He just got his law license back, uh, you know, less than, I think, a year ago. So it's, it's, it's shocking to me that they even want this position. But we know from his past performance that, one, he's not going to care about the issues that we've cared about. Two, he's not going to be very good at it, even if he did. Would you say, you know, there a long time ago, um, well, it seems like a long time ago, there was much ado being made about turning Texas blue. And they sent, I know that the left, because I was in on these discussions, sent, not with the left, but with us fighting, uh, sent people down to Texas to really organized effort to go through precincts and to really morph Texas into a, a, a blue state. 30 seconds, sir. Do uh, you think they've had success with that? No, I mean, not, not as far as the voters. I'm worried about voter fraud. And they, they, they struck down a statute, the Court of Criminal Appeals, which is Republican. 8-1 struck down a statute from 1951 where the legislature directed the attorney general of texas to prosecute voter fraud we've been doing that successfully we have we've had over we have over 900 cases going right now 500 being prosecuted over 300 being investigated the reality is if we lose that statute we will lose texas because they'll be able to cheat and no one will prosecute it yeah so stay tuned this is another another uh, 
cliffhanger. And tomorrow will be a cliffhanger as you go before the Supreme Court to see if you can uh, have them reinstate that remain in Mexico policy and make the, the Biden administration do that. Thank you so much, Attorney General Ken Paxton. Hi, I'm Mark Harrington, founder of the pro-life group Created Equal and host of Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. Created Equal is all about saving the lives of unborn children. Each week, I cover the latest pro-life news and feature interviews with unsung heroes from across the nation who are making a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice. Join me every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for The Mark Harrington Show here on American Family Radio and discover how you, too, can help protect the lives of the most innocent among us. On the next Focus on the Family, Pastor Mark Batterson shares about significant roles, responsibilities, and relationships in a man's life. He tells inspiring stories of historical male heroes who embodied what it means to be a real man and shares the importance of passing those qualities onto your son. That's on the next episode of Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Have you ever seen one of those track and field events where the runner starts out in blazing fashion, leading the pack for the majority of the race, only to stumble just before reaching the finish line? Starting the race well and running well are vitally important. But if we don't finish the race well, all else can be overthrown. The Apostle Paul penned those words, having fought the good fight, right on to the end as he faced imminent execution under Nero's sword. Let us all, brothers and sisters, set our courses to finish well. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hello, everybody. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Hey, our 2022 Spiritual Heritage Tours are filling up. So if you want to go with us in June or September, uh, you need to get registered. The website is spiritualheritagetours.com, with an S, spiritualheritagetours.com. And mostly it's listeners from AFR, from all over the country, who join us in Williamsburg or Washington, D.C. The trips are two. There's one to Washington, D.C. and George Washington's Mount Vernon. We'll see all the sites of our nation's capital. And then we're also going to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. Uh, these are, again, in June and September. They're filling up. We'll be full pretty soon. So if you want to go with us, the itinerary, the cost, all the information you need to know, the dates are available at spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours with an S dot com. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The man who promised to fundamentally transform the United States of America is back at it. In an address at Stanford University last week, former President Barack Obama called for the government to regulate free speech. Despite describing himself as pretty close to a First Amendment absolutist, Mr. Obama outlined an approach whereby private sector social media's own efforts at what he euphemistically called content management would be regulated by governmental authorities so as to control the dissemination of, quote, disinformation, unquote. 
It's hard to overstate the menacing implications of such an arrangement for our constitutional republic. Obama characterized the exercise of free expression by a domestic political opponent as, quote, flooding the public square with raw sewage, unquote. Such an impetus for censorship is not a characteristic of a First Amendment absolutist, but someone absolutely determined to silent speech of which he does not approve. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. No, what I'm considering is continuing to hear from my, uh, my, uh, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if in fact it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we'd be able to do that. But there has been no decision on extending Title 42. Thank you. Uh, if, are you confused? Well, you might be confused because President Biden was a little confused. Title 42, of course, is uh, the issue at the border where uh, people are turned away because of COVID uh, to, from coming into the country. And the mask mandate is the one that's being uh, the, the Justice Department is appealing. And so he's conflated the two. It's very confusing. But you know what? We're, it is a confusing time. So we have to give him some slack, don't we? I know he's confused on almost everything, but he was confused on that. Uh, Dr. Fauci's not confused, though. He saw this uh, decision that um, there should be not be masks worn on the plane, and uh, he's pretty upset about that. He uh, had an in discussion with Neil Cavuto about this, and Neil then turns around and challenges him with a very interesting question. So let's listen to this clip six. This is a public health issue, and the point that I was making is that you always respect a decision of a judge in a court. And in fact, that's what's happening right now because masks are coming off in transportation, planes and, and, and other forms of transportation. But the point that I was making that this is a public health decision. And I think it's a bad precedent when decisions about public health issues are made by, by people, be they judges or what have you, that don't have experience or expertise in public health. And I, and I believe that this should, main, should remain a CDC decision. And the CDC has a very large number of experienced scientists and epidemiologists that make those judgments based on the dynamics of the outbreak on the ground and other considerations that they make. So I wasn't at all defying the authority of a judge because when the judge makes a decision, you abide by that decision. I was concerned about the principle of having non-public health people making public health decisions. So what about the CDC weighing in on, you know, a, a rental eviction moratorium? Now, the Supreme Court did take that up. Uh, should the CDC have not? You know, th th that's an area, Neil, that, I, that I'm really not that familiar with, to be honest with you. I'm not trying oh, to evade oh, your question, oh, but no, I, I have not oh. been involved in, in looking yeah, at so the details. I don't, yeah, you get it. You get it. So he can't answer that one. But the CDC should be the governing body. They should be telling Americans what they can and cannot do. They should be ordering them. We should have, you know, perpetual messages at airports. The CDC has warned. The CDC says you cannot stand. You know, the CDC should be our, you know, our big brother. Well, they have been uh, for the last year and a half or so. 
uh, and it should remain so. I mean, we we don't we don't have these we don't want these elected bodies or uh, even judges in that third branch having anything to do with this because Big Brother has spoken, and that's what little middleman Big Brother wants to reinstate. That's Anthony Fauci. All right. Well, over the uh, this past few days, Friday, uh, Governor DeSantis po- signed that bill into law. It was passed on Thursday. Uh, in I think it went first in the Senate, and then I think the House was the second place where Florida legis- Florida legislature removed this special status where Disney had gotten back in the 60s when they came to Florida to um, be like their own their own country within Florida where they are they govern themselves where they do everything and so they took that privilege away uh, but I want you to hear what it sounded like on the floor of the house on fr- or, or maybe this was on Thursday when they were voting on this and you could see the the votes going in but you would think that all you know that something horrendous had just happened let's listen the clerk will unlock the machine and members will proceed to vote Lock the machine, announce the vote. 68 yeas, 38 days, Mr. Speaker. Show the bill passes. Yeah, so the bill passes. So, I mean, really, what what in the world? Uh, well, uh, somebody has done a little uh, studying here and decided that uh, it's probably possible uh, that the Disneyland and Disney World and uh, its pack or whatever they have, their ph- philanthropic uh, branch, has been giving money to Florida legislators. What do you think? You think maybe they have, you know... I had been responsible for putting a few people in that chamber. I'm thinking that's probably true. And so they're probably wailing for their loss of financial support. That's the speculation. Remember, this all boils down to the Florida law that DeSantis passed uh, probably 10 days ago, not even two weeks, I don't think. And the whole issue is that they what they're doing, this is what it is, what they call uh, uh, don't say gay law. This is what it says. Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation, or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age-appropriate. That's what Disney went to war with DeSantis and the state of Florida. That's what this is all about. Let's see. Let me read that again. Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age-appropriate. That's what they said. They started screeching and howling over, uh, and uh, that's that's the origin of this. Um, so the, the media, of course, had an interesting response to this. They had a meltdown, their own meltdown. Let's listen to clip 11. If Ron DeSantis could pass an anti-Muslim bill for the state of Florida, he would. If he could pass an anti-CRT, if he could say it's illegal to say you're black, I'm pretty sure the guy would try it. I mean, look, uh, DeSantis has, this is a playbook out of Putin, and we saw where this goes. It's very Soviet, and it's weird how Republicans, they keep tacking back to the old Soviet Union, and they seem to want to mimic the things uh, that the new Soviet Union, meaning Vladimir Putin, is doing. And even in our conversations about DeSantis, it's about how well they're serving him. The, the, The truth is... Dehumanization as a tactic for politics is from war. Dehumanization is a it's a it's a tactic 
It's being used right now. The Russians get their soldiers to rape children by dehumanizing them. Dehumanization as a practice is a tactic of war. Uh, so, so what Florida just did and Ron DeSantis just did was dehumanization, like Stalin. Uh, by what? By uh, uh, now, Disney World is going to have to fall under the laws of the state of Florida and the county in which they reside. They will no longer be able to be their own little tucked away governing body. That's like Stalin. I, I don't know. I, I just, I mean, I don't see it that way. By the way, Disney stocks, stocks have tumbled 30% uh, total in this last year, and they continue to go down. People are cutting out, you know, doing away with their streaming services, including Disney Plus. And so things are not looking up for Disney. And as um, that doesn't mean it's the end of it. By any means, Target, you know, the same thing happened to Target when we started boycotting them. Their stocks began to fall. And then here came COVID. And guess what store got to stay open? Why, it was Target, rewarded richly for their wokeness. And now they have money hand over fist. Because it really is, um, it's, uh, it's not what you think it is. And so Disney now is being wooed by two governors Bob Chapik, uh, who was a Fort Bend County judge in Colorado, is wanting uh, Disney World to come to Fort Bend and uh, promising that, you know, we're, we're unique. And um, actually, this is, no, this is in Houston. Houston's Harris County, which I, Harris County is probably one of the most radical counties in Texas by my memory. So maybe they would fit in well there. But Colorado also wants Disney World to come to them. Uh, Governor Jared Polis is saying Florida's authoritarian socialist attacks on the private sector are driving businesses away. Colorado, we don't meddle in affairs of companies like Disney or Twitter. Hey, Disney, we're ready for Mountain Disneyland. And Twitter, we're ready for Twitter HQ2, whatever your owners are. <laughs> yeah, but they don't, do, don't be a conservative and don't break their environmental rules in Colorado. You might end up with about 20 million regulations you hadn't had to deal with in Florida if you try to build a fun park there. Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? Some of it's interesting. It's kind of entertaining, but it's also tragic at the same time. All right. Well, there you go. That's Monday. And again, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity on Sherathon. Over $4 million was raised, and that's because of you. So thank you. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.